Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello once again, everybody. And thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, May 4th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk the end, for the most part, of the NHL regular season. We'll talk some golf here with the Wells Fargo Championship down at Quail Hollow. Then finish things up with some of Brian's thoughts on what happened in the Kentucky Derby. Hopefully you watched that video over on our ATS YouTube page. Over 15,000 views for that video. So a lot of people checked that out. Hopefully you were able to check out my preview where... Did have Mandaloon up there in my exacta box, but I didn't have Medina Spirit, unfortunately. So kind of happy with my handicap on the race, but we'll talk a little bit about what happened in that derby and kind of our early thoughts as far as the Preakness goes. Over at ATS.io, lots of great content for you to check out. My MLB article is posted for today. Picks are doing horrible, but hopefully you're getting something out of the analysis in that article. Uh, Lots of stuff on a daily basis over at the website for you to check out. And of course, make sure you download the ATS app as well, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Mr. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. Uh, Yeah, uh, what a weekend it was, but it's a great time moving forward. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs about to start. The NBA's in the... In the home stretch, too. Baseball's rocking and rolling. The NFL draft was great fun. There's been a lot on the docket, and we got a major coming up in golf in a few weeks. Yeah, definitely a lot of stuff going on here, to be sure. And uh, let's go ahead and start with the NHL side of things here, because I thought last night was really interesting. I think we had, what, 14 games on the board. You had some big dogs come through. The Sabres with a win over the Islanders. That was quite a surprise. Philadelphia hangs a touchdown on Pittsburgh and kicks the extra point to win that one after a significant line move on Pittsburgh with the announcement that Alex Lyon was getting the start for Philadelphia. And then we also saw St. Louis hold serve as a big favorite. Carolina hold serve as a big favorite. Colorado do the same thing. Edmonton as well in one of the late games. So, you know, Brian, it's one of those things where at this time of the year, yeah, there are some teams that, you know, quote unquote, aren't playing for anything, but it doesn't mean that they're all just auto fades. It's funny. I thought, if you had gone to Pittsburgh, Philly, and had said something, I would have thought you were reading my mail or or, or had a tracker on my phone. Yes, yesterday was a good day, and believe me, there've been you know stub your toe along the way. But yesterday, there there were two games I mentioned on the radio show that I thought were horrible numbers, and then the one was like Pittsburgh and Philly was over six and a half, and that they just play track meets when they play. But the one was the Sabers where the total was five and a half. And to his credit, the guy actually played good. Uh, this Michael Hauser made his NHL debut as a goalie. He's 28 years old, toiling in the ECHL in the minor leagues. And the Islanders are a team that aren't really an offensive juggernaut, but they're playing a guy who's literally kind of getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. And the Sabres have been an over team 
had been over five of their last six games and they made the total five and a half and they don't, they just don't adjust the numbers. It's like, are, are, are they paying attention? Now it was one of those deals where the Sabres got a couple of late goals in an empty netter and it went over. So it hit, but it was an ulcer to get there. The other one that made no sense to me whatsoever was Washington and the Rangers and Washington's 15 cents on the road. I mean, it was actually a pick, but some plays it close 10, 15. And he's like, well, Ovechkin may not play. And I'm like, I don't care if Ovechkin's going to play. The Rangers basically just got eliminated from the playoffs by the Islanders earlier in the week. And we're seeing it across the league. The Blackhawks, the Canucks, the Flames. These teams that have been in it for the long haul, but once their fate's sealed, I don't care who you are. Your heart's ripped out of your chest. And it's not a run for the bus thing. It's just you've expended so much energy. There's nothing left in the tank, and you get dispirited. And I'm I, that's why I love betting hockey so much. Is and, I, and it's not just like throwing an anvil on the odds makers because the betting market lets it sit. As like, okay, I mean, the, to me, the bad numbers pop up all over the place. The one thing that I thought was really interesting with that Flyers and Penguins game last night, and I agree with you, six and a half was definitely, you know, a low number on that total. And of course, the Flyers get there themselves, but they played so bad against the Devils last week. They have 18 goals in four games, which is why the over, you know, certainly looked like a good play, but they played so bad last week. And then all of a sudden here, Pittsburgh comes to town, a Pittsburgh team that, you know, was in the top spot in the East division heading into that game. And they beat them 7-2. And it sort of speaks to kind of looking at these teams that aren't in the running for anything and just sort of wondering, you know, can we pick spots where they do kind of show up? I mean, do the Flyers show up because they're playing the Penguins? Do the Flyers show up because they were embarrassed with that performance against the Devils last week? You know, I think that there are some opportunities to bet these big underdogs here. And something else to consider, too, is that these teams in these must-win situations – and you're going to see that in the North Division here with what's going on with the seating for the Jets and the Canadians and all of that. But these must-win premiums that get put on games, they just wind up throwing the line a little bit too high. So if you can isolate some of those big underdogs that are still trying here, at least still trying to put up individual numbers, there are some spots here I think we can pick off this week. No, there's no doubt about it. But it's just it's a general thing. Hockey players are amazing, and they're they're accountable. I love hockey players better probably than any professional athlete in terms of them being accountable and knowing you can't hide out there and showing up. That being said, when you get to the end of a season and you're eliminated, it's human nature. And say, yeah, oh, yeah, they're playing for jobs. At the end of a long season, these guys, and on top of this year, the problem these players have it's the rink, the house, the rink, the house. When you're on the road, the rink, the room. The players have been just basically sequestered and have had no life outside of hockey. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, the protocols that are in place for the NHL, and Robin Leonard spoke to this a few weeks ago here in Vegas. Their mind is on the golf course. And at the end of the year, they're like, I'm thinking, say, you know, think about it. You got three games left. You're You're eliminated. You're not out there, not out there looking to get hurt and be doing rehab all summer and get hurt. So the teams that are eliminated, yeah, they're out there, but they're not like racing into the corner, throwing big checks. 
and there's no angst and hate buildup. Their mind is basically the season, get it over with, and start a new next year, and you don't want to get hurt. So when you get two teams that have been eliminated, you know, you could probably go over under five and a half checks thrown in the whole damn game. So it's pond hockey. Odd man rushes. So the chances that are going to be in all these games are going to go through the roof. Now, that doesn't mean a goalie can't have an incredible night and be the difference maker. But stylistically, those teams that are bo- if they're both eliminated, the style of the game is track meet city. Then you get teams like Pittsburgh. Yeah, they still got something to play for, but they know Philly's out of it. And, you know, it's one of these nights, their goaltending's not good, and they're sitting there going, they're trying to decide, do we do any load management? We're still playing for a spot now. So the team that's eliminated sometimes drags the team that's fighting for something into that loosey-goosey style of play. And I, I know that's long-winded, but you can see it when if two teams are both fighting for something, the intensity is through the roof. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's an excellent point that you make. And I think, too, that, you know, if you're in one of those types of games, maybe that's where the underdog kind of comes to fruition, where if it's going to be a wide-open game, their goaltender may simply play better than the other one. And so maybe that in a higher variance, higher scoring environment, that's where you'd kind of want to look at the eliminated team to maybe pull an upset. Whereas, you know, we get one last night where the Bruins beat the Devils 3-0. You know, the Bruins want to try and improve their seating as much as they possibly can. They have games in hand. They're still going to pay attention to the details. They're still going to play the way that they need to play in their own zone. Whereas some of these teams may not have that mindset. So I think it's an excellent point that you make there. I want to ask you about the Dallas Stars here, who've dropped four in a row. They're now four points behind Nashville. Do have a game in hand. It's the only playoff spot up for grabs between the Central Division or the East Division, what we would typically think of as the Eastern Conference here. But for Dallas dropping four in a row, is this just kind of a lull for this team? Or does this have something to do with the fact that they've played this ridiculously condensed schedule because they had that COVID outbreak where they started their season what a week and a half or two weeks late, and maybe they're just running out of gas. I think it's that the the condensed schedule can get you. And we had talked about Dallas with all the games in hand. It may look bad today, but they'll be there at the end. But the weird thing for them, this is the closest thing you've got to a regular season. When you talk about getting the worst of it, and I'm not making excuses for them, but Everybody all year long, you've been playing series, back-to-back games in the same city, at home. Look at the four games they've lost. Nobody else has had to do this. I don't remember one team that went through this all year. They played at home to Carolina. Then they went to Tampa Bay. Then they went to Nashville. And then they went to Florida. They played against four different teams in consecutive games. That has not happened all year long. So you threw Dallas into what is a normal NHL schedule out of nowhere, and it's the only team I can remember this happening to all year long. So they were bopping city to city to city, and that took a toll on them. Yeah, and here they've got back-to-back in Tampa Bay Wednesday, Friday, and then Sunday, Monday against the Blackhawks team that's not playing particularly well. So we'll see if Nashville can take care of its affairs or if those games wind up mattering for Dallas. One thing I will say, they have dropped four in a row, but two of them in overtime – They've lost 14 times in overtime, Brian. They've gotten 14 loser points 
on the season. Columbus is the only other team in double digits in that department. So they've been right there. You know, they've had some games that that could have gone either way, whether it was an overtime or the shootout. But 14 of their 52 games, overtime losses, I don't know how many wins they have in that span, but they've also played a lot of extra periods too. Yeah, but and and the crazy thing is, which is why I I thoroughly despise the shootout. I think it's a joke. It always has been a joke. I mean, the league should go three on three for ten minutes and go to a three two one point structure. A it it will promote more exciting finishes in regulation. And if it ends in a tie, who the hell cares? You open up three way betting indexes, but Teams that are horrible in the shootout and three-on-three, you know, it's a gimmick, but if Carol, if Dallas comes up short, that's why. They were terrible in the shootout and in three-on-three. In three. It, it, you know, it's no great difference. <laughs> they made it to overtime. They're in all these games. They're just horrible at the gimmick part of the game. It's not a game. I just The, the, the shootout, the three-on-three stuff is generally now always – really exciting where there are great chances and then you bring the damn game to a screeching halt and okay let's stand around and let these these guys come in it's so stupid it's boring it it, it has no it has nothing to do with the game it's a gimmick at least three on three is goofy but it's hockey and it's entertaining at least it's hockey it's not hey let's do uh you know it's like going to the team's uh, skills practice thing that they open up to the fans. It's hot garbage. Get rid of it. I hate the shootout. I also hate MLB's extra innings thing. I think that's just as gimmicky, if not worse. Um, but that's a different topic for a different day here. Let's talk about this for a second. The Florida Panthers have played 54 games. Detroit's played 53. A lot of te- or 54, excuse me. A lot of teams have played 53. Some teams 52, some 51, some 50. Vancouver, of course, Still has 10 games left to play before this is all said and done. And I think this is going to be a really fascinating thing to watch, Brian, as we start looking ahead to the playoffs. The the playoffs are going to start before the regular season ends is what's going to happen. Is that the way that they're going to set it up? Well, I've got to believe so. They have to, right? I mean, that that or, that or, and I, I don't know that they would do this. The Calgary's vomited all over themselves here once they got back in it. And it's Calgary and Vancouver, if I'm correct, I'm looking real quick, play how many at the end? Oh, I hate the wrong damn thing. Um, these two teams play, if I'm not mistaken, the last four games of the year. I don't know if you just cancel them. You know, I, I don't know that they probably wouldn't do that, but they're games that mean absolute, absolutely nothing to the grand scheme of the postseason. So, and the Canadian teams, if had those games meant something, well, so be it. Then you got to wait to determine who the playoff foes are. But the other three divisions were going to get started. And we still don't know what's going to happen with the Canadian teams. I mean, Ontario's still in a lockdown. People can't go to the, you know, they can't go out to a park, but you can go to a, but the hockey games are playing. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a much bigger discussion than hockey. But yeah, no, I'm looking at this. Thursday, May 13th, Sunday the 16th, Tuesday the 18th, Wednesday the 19th. Calgary, Vancouver. Four games that mean nothing, and the other teams are done a week before. So I think the other divisions, without doubt, will start. And if Calgary and 
you know, once it's determined uh, who's playing who in the North, they're going to start. And then they just got to decide, do we play those final four regular season games? But you literally could be two or three games into the playoffs when Vancouver's ending the regular season. Well, and even then, though, I mean, on, on May 14th, you've got Toronto and Winnipeg. You know, Toronto, a team that is already in the playoffs. Now they're kind of fighting for, you know, that overall seeding with how this, you know, unique format is going to go. Winnipeg will make the playoffs. I, I mean, they're 10 points ahead of Calgary, but, you know, they'll probably be the four seed out of the North instead of the three seed. But they still have that game hanging around on May 14th. So I'm kind of curious to see how this, this all shakes out in terms of some teams are going to be done, you know, Saturday or Monday. And other teams are going to have to play a week later or four or five days later, something like that. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of sets up in terms of the playoffs. If there's some rust, if it shows up from a futures standpoint, something like that, you know, just it, obviously everything's very strange with this NHL season. Yeah, but I, I don't think the rust will be a thing. And what they'll do is they'll start. And the way they'll be able to catch up is if one, say three of the four divisions get going, and the fourth division starts five to seven days later, they're the ones that will pay a price for it where they will probably give the other three divisions will get an extra day off between games uh, on a handful of occasions. And the, the division that starts late is going to play probably several back-to-back nights to get it back on the train tracks. Because the, wor- the worst thing, the thing they've got to avoid is what you just said. You're not doing anybody a, a service by making them end their season, wait for the other thing, and then come back and play off six days layoff. Uh, the, once the season ends, I think my guess is it's going to start a week from Saturday. My guess is it'll start on the weekend. One last thing I want to talk about here, just as far as what's currently in front of us with the remainder of the regular season. All 10 teams tonight playing a back-to-back that played last night. So pay attention to those backup goaltending situations. And also, too, look for guys that are kind of trying to reach individual benchmarks. You know, a guy that maybe has 19 goals or maybe 29 goals or 24, something like that. You know, these guys now at this stage of the game, especially for those teams that aren't playing for anything, a lot of guys kind of looking for personal accolades. You know, it's going to be interesting to see in free agency – how this, you know, abbreviated season is sort of accounted for, uh, what happens in terms of free agent contracts with the salary cap, with ownership groups that have not made as much money for the gate. You know, these players are going to be looking to get some of those benchmarks, those round numbers, all of that. So from a player prop standpoint, you know, maybe that's something you want to take a look at here as well. Yeah, and I don't know how you deal with this thing, you know, down the road. I mean, wins are wins for goalies. Flurry's got a milestone, by the way. If he wins tomorrow, he goes by Luongo to be the third winningest goaltender in history. And the team, is, his teammates know that, too. They know that. They've been playing good for him. They're coming off an awful a, a punch-to-the-gut kind of loss in a building they've never won in. So it's I don't think it's a given that they win the game, but it, that's one that's certainly of note. The problem is, you know, McDavid's going to win the heart, okay? What I what has he got? 91 points in 50 games? It's insanity. But, I mean, how do you treat this? It's not, it's not an NHL season. You know, he's got 91 points, but he's got it against Vancouver, Ottawa, Calgary, Winnipeg, and the Leafs. You know, you're not traveling. You're not going around the league. You're not playing all the other teams. So, 
I'm not saying that there's an asterisk attached. Well, I am saying it, but I just know how you attach the asterisk to it. This is not an NHL season. You know, it's like club hockey. It's like you're you're playing in this. You know, the playoffs are going to be great once we get to the. Let's go. It's the playoffs. But this regular season's a circus act. How about Austin Matthews? I mean, he's going to score forty goals. I mean, it's that's pretty damn impressive. But as you said, I mean, look. You know, when you look at at this North Division, you know, I mean, Vancouver they weren't a great team prior to COVID. Anyway, Ottawa obviously they're building towards something in the future. Uh, Calgary not a particularly great team. So. Yeah, you know, I think it's also fair, too, is kind of look at oh. and cherry-pick that division. Well, you're in that division, I would say this to you, and I'm looking. There's not one good defense in that division, and I mean that. That's Toronto's, you know, flaw is their defense is suspect. Winnipeg, uh, you know, I, it's like they introduced themselves to each other before the games. Edmonton's defense is nothing to write about, uh, you know. Good for McDavid. He's amazing. He's going nuts, you know, but he's not playing the Bruins twice and he's not playing you know, Arizona twice that bogs down the neutral zone and does it's not a regular season. You know, it's, it's so yes, he's amazing. But he's racking up points against a lot of hot garbage. Yeah. And, and maybe that'll be a fade angle for whatever team emerges from that North division here. Once we get down to the final four and they kind of escape the division play for the playoff format and, you know, go out there and, and play against somebody else. Maybe that'll be something we can talk well, where, about. Where the hell, for starters, where the hell are they going to play? I mean, this is Buff- the Buffalo's thing. not using their arena. Well, there's a lot of places not using their arena. Right. I mean, if 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 the North winner, let's say, if they're going to reseed, so it's not an Eastern and Western Conference thing. So if say the the North winner is going to play Vegas or Colorado in the semis, you send them to Arizona. Yeah. You know, you're not going to open-ended. Yeah. Well, you're not going to make these guys be flying cross country. So where, where the North winner lands is going to be regional based on who they end up playing against. But to start the North, are they playing in home arenas? Are they going to throw them in a bubble? And it's at least been under consideration. Do you bring all four of them down South? and play in a North division bubble so that when the semis get here, it's easy for that team that comes out of there to seamlessly transition into the semis and take the border completely out of the equation. There's a lot of unknowns here. Yeah, there is. I don't know. Play it in Fargo, like play it at the college arena or something, put the North bubble up there, you know, do something kind of cool, kind of different for a local municipality or something, you know, what 20% capacity or whatever, something like that. It'd be kind of cool to do. I mean, right, it's not for the country of Canada, but nobody can go to the game anyway. So, well, for starters, the Canadian team's not won the cup since 1993. So, the good news is they've got a team guaranteed to be in the semis. And everybody says, "Oh, we love this Canadian thing; they should do it all the time." Go, no, they'll never do that because they cannibalize each other. You're diminishing the chances of a Canadian team to win the thing. But the other problem is, there's a real. Well, once you get to the semis, the odds are stacked that the North representative is not going to have a home game. It's going to be a neutral site game where the other team's going to have home games and Vegas. Now they just got approved for 50% fans for the remainder of their regular season games by June 1st. If they're still playing that number could go up. So, you know, 4,500 fans are making a you know, noise that the players get involved with. And it, there's some atmosphere in the building, 
But now you're going to be talking 9,000 fans are going to be a team oval arena. You know, the Canadian teams, they're never going to be playing in front of anybody that's rooting for them. No, that's fair. That's a, definitely a fair point to bring up there. All right, let's transition over to the golf side of things here because we got a pretty good tournament. The Wells Fargo Championship down at Quail Hollow on the outskirts of Charlotte. This is a legit course hosted the 2017 PGA Championship. will host the 2025 PGA Championship and also next year's President's Cup. So the Wells Fargo will change venues next year as the course gets ready for the President's Cup. But for now, it is down there at Quail Hollow. John Rahm and Justin Thomas, your co-favorites at 10 to 1 at BetMGM. Of course, this is all dependent on where you're looking for the odds. But Brian, we've got DeChambeau. We've got Shoffle and Rory, Victor Hovland, Webb Simpson, the Carolina kid, Tony Finau, Cantlay, Zalatoris, Reed, Connors, Max Homa, who's actually the reigning champion of this event because it was canceled last year due to COVID. Really good field here. And obviously some guys with some President's Cup considerations down the line, they're kind of thinking about this tournament for that reason as well. But strong field, certainly the best field we've had since the Masters. Yeah, JT's, you know, 11-1. to 1. Form's kind of sketchy, but, but there's a guy, you know, he can flip a switch and once he gets it right, figures out whatever the problem is, he can go low anytime he's out there. You mentioned the favorites. DeChambeau off a shelf. Uh you know, always interesting if he's hitting fairways. Hovland's form is pretty unbelievable. He is, he's always on leaderboards now. And, you know, he's got to position himself better heading into Sunday. He, he, if he can get out of the gate better, Hovland's going to start kicking doors down here. Zalatoris is remarkable that this guy is playing on a sponsor exemption. He is still not a member of the PGA Tour. He's got more money. He's, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I would envision he's probably in the top 20 in money, and he's, he's, not, a, he's not a member of the PGA Tour. I mean, it's not, not a problem. He's going to be, but he's playing on a sponsor exemption. I'm going to go with uh, Joaquin Neiman at 35-1. to 1. Another guy that I think the game started around into form is a guy that's capable of going low. And he's taking a little money this week. He was 40s down to 35. And I'm going to go, Rory's had success here, but I'm going to go with a guy whose form is actually pretty good this year. And I think this is a course that will suit him well. I think Shane Lowry at 60 to 1 is a guy that merits a lot of consideration this week. When you look at this course here, it is a par 71. So we're missing one of the par fives, some very long par fours. I think there are maybe four. Par fours that are 500 yards or more on this course here, three or four. But this is a long track. This is one where driving distance does matter quite a bit. But also, these tend to be some very fast greens. So you want to look at guys that hit the ball a long way, but also know how to putt pretty well. Joaquin Neiman is a guy that I did look at as well here. Eighth last week at the Valspar, eighth in driving distance, eighth in strokes gained total. He's in the top 40 in putting. He actually jumped up about 20 spots after how well he putted last week at Innisbrook. So Joaquin Neiman was a guy on my short list here as well in that 35 to one range. Uh, Will Zalatoris played his college golf at Wake Forest. I'm sure he's Hello. relatively familiar with this one, but I got to say, man, of the short prices to me, you, I know who you're going to say, and I'm right? not going this far down the board this week. But Everybody knows it. It's too many Webb good Simpson. players. No, Webb Simpson and Lee, not going Webb Simpson. 
It's his backyard. I mean, well, I mean, it, the Webb Simpson, the cat's out of the bag on Webb Simpson at Quell Hollow, but yeah, you know, okay, who is it? It's Xander Shoffley. Uh, Xander Shoffley at eighteen to one, top twenty-five in driving distance, third in strokes gained total, top ten in strokes gained putting. Uh, you know, look, we played very well at the Masters, obviously. And the thing that's interesting here is that you know, Rom, Thomas, Shoffley, DeChambeau. These guys really haven't played a whole lot lately. Really, their only start has been the Masters. Obviously, all of them played the Players' Championship and all of that. But you know, these are guys that maybe there's not a ton of current form data for them because they haven't played a whole lot. But just with the way that this course plays, I mean, there's a reason it's picked to be the course for the PGA Championship a couple of times here over an eight-year span. It's a tough course. It's got a major-esque layout with the emphasis on driving distance and the fast greens. I'm not moving too far down the board here for this one. I'm just looking at the guys that, you know, I feel like I can really trust guys that will make putts and hit the ball a long way. So that's why I'm looking at Shoffley, Neiman. You can make a case for Corey Connors, whose putting has gotten much, much better here of late. I'm not looking at any long shots this week, Brian. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I love Shoffley. Um, this course is tough. I, if you... I would I would take a read over Shoffley this week because Reed's short game is spectacular, and when when I see Shoffley start to hit form again, then I'm all in. And I think Shoffley's a guy that's you know going to be racking his game going here to get get going into these majors that are coming up. But a lot of these guys, his form, he, there's something he's just off. He's he's not. He's got I me. Mean, he's he's an incredible player. I don't know, Adam. There's just something. His game is just a touch off, and it's not far off, but something's just a little off with Shoffley. But when we see him in there, and and he's in the teeth of a battle, look out. Then it's coming, and 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 there's without doubt wins are coming from him this year. It's I, I, you know at twenty to one, I, I want to see the form first. I, personally, I would be more inclined. And if I miss the boat, so be it. I miss the boat. But if I see him in contention, three, four back on, on a, you know, Friday night, and he's still in the 15 to 20 to one range, that's probably when I would jump in on him. But, I mean, Cantley, what do you do with him? I mean, when he starts, when he's striking the ball, he's terrifying how good he and how low he can go. But he's been off form, too. A lot of these guys, and I'm, I guess the point is, a lot of these guys aren't finding a rhythm or a real groove to their game. It's like a roller coaster ride. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like I said, a lot of these guys haven't played a lot of these events here recently. You know, not many guys played the RBC, not many guys played the Valspar or uh, the Valero Texas Open right before the Masters or anything like that. So, yeah, that is a concern. Current form, you know, versus course form, kind of course fit, stuff like that. It's all part of the handicapping process here for the PGA Tour. So, you know, always a lot of things to talk about. Always will be a lot of things to talk about. But uh, anybody else for you outside of taking a look at Lowry or Neiman? You know, I just, for, for whatever reason, I went and I looked at the, and Neiman's been top 10 a lot. I thought Lowry's been showing up a lot and in, in playing well. And he, he's just like just off the pace. But his game, he's playing really, really well. And Lowry, you know, he lives in Florida now. I think he's more settled in. He is a PGA Tour player now, settled in for years. I I, kind of just resonated to him from the price. Uh, I mean, another guy that's, you know, 
doing the same sort of thing. I don't know that the course sets up for him. But Brian Harmon's form is really good. He's past winner here, too. Yeah, I mean, 50 to 1. Maybe I'm I'm making a mistake saying, hey, wait a minute. Here's a guy who's been, and I because I've been on him several times and got good runs for my money, but, you know, not the ultimate piece of cake. But, yeah, Harmon at 50 to 1 is another guy. Maybe you could take a peek at if you want to get real daring, I actually, I, I thought you might say it, and I wouldn't have shot holes at you for saying it, because I know you love Ricky Fowler, and he's outside the top 100 now. He's a former winner here. Is there, you know, is there, is there a win in this guy's future again? It, this is a course he's won on in the past, 75 to 1. Man, I, I don't know. I, I guess that that's probably, I mean, you don't want to hold your money for that long to bet some kind of future like that. But I mean, th- does Ricky Fowler win another PGA tour event? That's oh, not like an alternate event. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I root for that. Uh, I think so. I, I, uh, there, there's way too much talent there. I, I, and I, I honestly, I, I should look this up. I mean, he's, he's just got to get with the, with the right guy that just gets his head right. And the switch goes off because I, the one thing he's got, I mean, he rolls the rock as good as anybody. Yeah, I don't know if, if he just needs, you know, maybe a different voice on the bag, a different swing coach. So I, I don't know. But you know, the other thing that's got to be really tough, too, is you have some measure of success early in your career. You know, we, we've seen the picture of him hanging out with all the guys and their significant others. And, you know, he's got that weird expression on his face and, and all that from, you know, past international tournaments and everything. And it's like, all those guys, you know, their careers for the most part have kind of taken off and he's just gone in the opposite direction. And I've got to think that's got to be so tough when your friend circle like that is just thriving. Not that anybody's feeling bad for Ricky Fowler and his career earnings and all that, but it's just, it's oh. gotta be tough, man. Well, my, our friend, Cam Stewart, who I do a lot of stuff with, he coined it, the phrase, was it Jordan? Who was it? Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas. Oh, the one kid. I, uh, there's another guy that's with him all the time. He, he's like a, a middle tier guy. Oh, like Smiley Kaufman hangs out with them all the time, and that could, that, uh, he doesn't one, win anything. Uh, there's one other guy on. It's at the tip of my tongue, but where they'd all go on the yachts and vacations and all that. And, and Cam Cam calls them the Get Along Gang. And you know, the, and, you know, Speed was part of the Get Along Gang, and now he, he's back and. You know, it's good to see his game back. Justin Thomas was the only one that thrived in the get-along gang that, just, you know, kept on going. But though I saw a thing about two weeks ago. Now, the exact number, I could be really exaggerated, but I don't think I am, that the PGA has some program. It's like a $90 million bonus thing for guys that promote the game, social media, imaging. It's all like stuff, not just on the golf course. And Fowler is, is, you know, with his Instagram, Twitter, and everything he does and the commercials and all that, he's raking in dough left and right just by promoting the game. And then the critics go, well, he does all these commercials. Yeah, I'd like to have that problem. Yeah, no, it's fair. Like I said, I mean, no one's feeling bad for the guy, but, you know, certainly I'd like to see him take down a big tournament here. And I think with the Wells Fargo, with this course and with a pretty good field here, uh, if he's able to play really well in this one, and hopefully he is, uh, maybe that could kind of be the start of something for him. Also, another past winner here who you don't hear his name a whole lot is Jason Day. You know, So maybe Jason Day, if he's healthy with that back, of course, 
Uh, maybe he can kind of use this event as a springboard as it well. Does speak volumes to the game itself. The game's in a great place because there are so many good young players now that guys can put it together and go low. But it is it is such a fleeting thing in this game. I always bring up Tom Watson, Tiger chasing Jack Nicholas. Tom Watson would have gone by Jack Nicholas. This guy got the yips for a decade and he couldn't make a three foot putt. But into his sixties, Tom Watson is still one of the greatest ball strikers on the planet. This is a hard game. Yeah, it absolutely is. Speaking of a hard game, winning the Kentucky Derby, not an easy thing to do, but Medina Spirit did it and basically went wire to wire in the process. And, you know, I was watching this one down in a bar in Fort Worth, Texas, so that was kind of fun. But, you know, I'm watching this race, and maybe it was just me, but it it felt like it was going in slow motion. I mean, I don't know what happened here with this thing. The track was in great shape. It just... some of the trips were very strange i did like midnight bourbon i had midnight bourbon with mandaloon uh and essential quality in an exact box and midnight bourbon i thought had a chance had a lane could have put the gas pedal down and went and maybe did something here and just never got going there was just something weird about this race where i felt like a lot of horses didn't have great trips a lot of riders had questionable rides or strategies i don't know what were what were your takeaways from this year's derby frustration Fair because enough. on the oaks and the derby i got decimated at the starting gate and the, my horse never got in its race and luck uh it's a it's, a, it's an excuse but it happened and on sunday friday i love a horse past the champagne had nothing but past the champagne and malafat and malafat won the race and past the champagne is a either going to the front or sitting second or third, got absolutely pitchforked at the gate and broke dead last. I mean, clobbered out of the gate. And I'm like, they, I'm like, race over. I'm dead. It's done. It's not the, the horse's running style. He was taken out of the race, coming out of the gate. Doesn't it happen again in the Derby? Rock Your World got smashed coming out of the gate. And this is a horse that was either going to be in front of Medina Spirit or right alongside Medina Spirit. And the race was over. The horse was like running 12th on the far outside going by the Spires for the first time. The horse didn't get to run his race. I will, I'll make this call right now. If rock your world comes back and runs in the Preakness rock, your world will be the favorite for the Preakness. Interesting. The favorite for the Preakness finishing 17th in the Kentucky Derby. Yep. I'll guarantee it. All right. He was nine to two in the Kentucky Derby. Medina Spirit was eighteen to one. Right. He did not. He did not get to run his race. He got plowed. I mean, he was in the fifteen hole. The sixteen come over. The fourteen come out. Game over. Horse never got to run his race, and he and then did didn't expend a lot of energy. Once you know, once it was clearly over, you know, Rosario wrapped the horse up. And Pimlico's a shorter race. The Preakness is a shorter race, mile and three sixteenths. It'll be a smaller field, maybe bigger than normal because for once we had four of them across the track. But if they decide to bring Rock Your World back, believe me, the wise guy horse will be Rock Your World, and I would I would say he'll go off the favorite. You know, that was the thing that I looked at with with putting Mandaloon in my exacta box was that you know I felt like it was an under the radar horse. 
you know, a horse that didn't really have a great trip in its final lead up. It got bumped on the outside. It was the favorite in the Louisiana Derby, but just never really picked up stride. And that's really important here. You've got some horses that have put together some really good runs, but you know, what happens at the starting gate can throw them off stride quite a bit. And Mandaloon was one of those in the final prep race to where I thought, okay, you know, this is another one of the, you know, uh, of the offspring from Into Mischief. Into Mischief's, you know, Colts have done really, really well over the last couple of years. Thought it was a horse in a pretty good spot. Did run a strong second. But to your point about Rockier World, that's what's going to happen here. Is people are going to look at this and say, okay, well, Rockier World beat Medina Spirit by four and a half lengths in the Santa Anita. Like, like how did this happen in the Kentucky Derby where Medina Spirit wins and Rock Your World finishes 17th? And Go it's watch exactly the start. what you said. Watch the start. <laughs> Go and it's watch very the important. Start. And this is something that I always do. And I'm not a horse racing guy. You know, I'm not nearly as adept at it as you are. But when I write the previews, when I handicap these races, it's not just looking at the sheet. I go back to YouTube and I look at what happened in those prep races. Watch how that trip went. See what exactly happened. And you've got to factor that into the handicap. So if you're betting the Preakness or even the Belmont down the line, you got to watch and see what happened in this Kentucky Derby and what happened in the prep races as well. Well, and I would imagine the top four come back. If he, if they all come out of the race, okay. The top four come back. Uh, if I'm the connections of Rock Your World, I absolutely give the horse another shot. I mean, it, he it, legitimate excuse. And I would say there's probably another two or three horses that felt they got compromised in the Derby because it's the most physically run race of the year. I think it sets up for a big field in the Preakness. But the, the one thing that's going on here, and it's funny, I did a seminar Friday night out at Sunset Station. I said, close your eyes and just picture the last 30 derbies. And, okay, mind that bird, Giacomo, maybe eons ago, Monarcos come from out of the clouds and win the race. But 90% of the derbies, they all visually look the same. And that's a winner draws off and wins, a horse chasing them, another one maybe fighting for third, and then two or three of them, maybe two at max, fighting for fourth. And then there's a separation of a dozen lanes to the other 14 horses. That's how every derby plays out. And I said Friday night, would it be great if we had got three or four of them across the wire uh, and, and all of a sudden that sets up for a great preakness? It happened. I mean, you got a lot of horses aren't going to be scared off now and they're going to come back and they're going to run in the preakness. So I, I think it sets up for an interesting little thought process here in the coming weeks. And then there'll be new shooters, too. There'll be some three. What it speaks to, Adam, is it's not a great crop of three-year-olds. Exceptional quality ran his race. And there was, to me, you know, I, did, I didn't cash anything on the damn thing. But there wasn't a doubt in my mind that essential quality was going to get beat. He's going to run his race, and he's going to be there. But essential quality had run four races like that. In the last race, he was life and death to win the race over highly motivated. And it's all about peaking on the first Saturday of May. You knew somebody was going to peak on the right day, and money goes to money, and Baffert and the strategy, they said, go to the front. And I guess the, the thing that's cool, not to shoot holes at Medina Spirit, but Velasquez said after the race that in the Santa Anita Derby, he, he thought the horse ran really well, 
it was just one of these deals where he thought Rock Your World would come back to them, and the Rock Your World never stopped running. But Medina Spirit, in every one of his races, once the gate opens and he gets out and gets position after the first call, a horse has never passed Medina Spirit. He's never been passed by a horse in a race. Out of the gate, if you know, after the first call, the horse digs in and he's got great heart. Well, they all know that now. They yeah. all know that now. So can, when that latch springs at the Preakness, he's going to have company on the front end. Well, we'll definitely talk about the Preakness on next week's show as that's coming up here on May 15th with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, tell us about those two shows you got, man. All right, buddy. Yeah, uh, we're Sportsbook Radio 2 to 4 Eastern, 11 to 1 Pacific. It's on Sports Grid Radio Network and Series Channel 204. And hockey fans, uh, it's going to be a great time of year here of the Stanley Cup playoffs coming up. KSHP.com, listen live function there for Vegas Hockey Hotline. That's at 1 o'clock Pacific time. A lot on the Golden Knights, but we are bouncing all around the league. We've got great guests uh, from all around the NHL. They played Minnesota yesterday. We had Pat Micheletti from Minnesota. Uh, Jim Toth from Winnipeg is joining us on Thursday. If you're a hockey fan, I think you'll really enjoy it. And on pretty much all the goodies we got for you on my Twitter at Brian Blessing. And we do a hockey betting podcast. It's called, hey, it's called the Hockey Betting Podcast. Uh, the Hockey Betting Podcast.ca. I do that with our buddy Cam Stewart. So great time of year, a lot of cool stuff. And honestly, we didn't even get into the NFL draft, but a lot of cool things in the NFL draft. Football will be here before you know it, bud. And, and honestly, the, the, the best thing that happened over the weekend, I went to Treasure Island for the Derby. Other than people were wearing masks, it was normal. It was packed. People were out having fun. Uh, it was we're 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 getting there. We're we're getting there. Yeah, definitely. And in fact, seeing you know with some of the vaccination rates at some of the properties out there, some of them going up to a hundred percent. Cosmo and Wincor. Uh, so you know, yeah, we're definitely getting and there. You're coming to back. Sure. Yeah, be back out there shortly. So definitely looking forward to that. Looking How do you forward to survive up all these bachelor parties. Uh. uh uh, good genes. I got a good liver, I think. I just oh. take a pass. Like, hey, best of luck to you. Marriage isn't a word, it's a sentence. Always <laughs> <laughs> to chat on the show with Brian Blessing. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing. Wells Fargo Championship video over on our ATS YouTube page. More to come this week from him as well. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, Adam, buddy. You have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again, at Brian Blessing on Twitter, Sportsbook Radio, also Vegas Hockey Hotline. I'll be back on Thursday with a new edition of the Betters Box, talking all things Major League Baseball. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Thursday. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.